this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. With this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. It is good to have fun in the Lord, isn't it? Yes, we can do this, and we can really enjoy it. I'd like to welcome all of our guests this morning with us, and our regulars, and uh, it is summertime, and uh, you know, I really appreciate it when people on vacation will come to church, because they don't have to. Nobody's telling your pastor that you're here, by the way, just so you know that. (laughs) But we want to thank you for being here. That shows us that truly you love the Lord. Because this is one time that you could skip and get away with it. <laughs> but you know what? It's not about that, is it? It's not about how much we can get away with. It's about how much we can give to the Lord and how much we can invest in the kingdom. And when we have that kind of a heart, isn't that great? When we can have that kind of an attitude in our heart, you know, that is just preparing. Uh, you are storing up reward after reward after reward in heaven when you come to the Lord with a heart that says, Lord, how much can I give you? How much can I give you? Not how much can you give me. Now, how much can I get out of you? Or now, how much can I get away with? But how much can I invest here for you? Man, that's the heart. That's the heart of what the Lord's looking for. Amen? I have a few questions I want to ask this morning as we begin the message. Don't normally start a message this way, but I, I feel like I should this morning. And if you picked up one of the uh, flyers that have our scriptures on it, on the back of that is the questions. And they're also going to be on the overhead. But I just want to read these questions, and I'm not looking for anyone to raise your hand. Please don't, but I am asking for people to be honest in your heart. So this morning, I want to start off by asking some questions. How many here this morning wake up every morning with their first priority having a closer relationship with Jesus than they did yesterday? How many value their relationship with Jesus more than anything else in the world? Answer these questions in your heart. How many believe that their devotional life, praying and reading the Bible, is the most important time of their day? How many think that the pastor needs to have a closer relationship with Jesus than they do? How many think that if Jesus were to come back today to take away his church, or if this was your last breath, that you would go to heaven without a shadow of a doubt. 
How many want their church experience to be one of a challenge of lifestyle and a call to higher spiritual life on a regular basis? How many here want their pastor to ask questions like this or would you rather not think about it? How many here are offended that I did? How many here are thankful that we focus on real-life issues and what it means to biblically be a true follower of Christ every time we meet? I would just ask you to take those questions to heart. Answer them in your heart, honestly, because the Lord's seeing your answer. I pray that we are good with these kind of self-evaluations on a regular basis and that we welcome these questions and we also welcome the Holy Spirit to bring a level of conviction that we would slay a prideful attitude if we have one. That if we have an offensive spirit in us of pride to say, oh, why could he ask that question? Who is he to ask that question of me? If that rose up at all within you, I pray that we can see the significance of the seriousness of that offense and how that displeases the Lord. So today we're going to talk more on Peter and what he was speaking to the churches scattered across Asia Minor on the vital importance of what it means to live a life of humility. We're going to talk about humility again today. The more I study God's Word, it amazes me how relevant God is in the lives of His people today with the Word that He wrote, no matter when He wrote it. This Word that Peter wrote, this letter that he penned to those churches scattered across Asia Minor is so relevant for today, it amazes me how something can be so old but yet be so right on spot and can be so perfectly what I need to hear today. Doesn't that amaze you? to think that God can be so good that way. Last week, we spoke about pride and humility. and we, told, we, sp- we spoke mostly on pride. And we made the very important point that pride and humility are directly opposites. They are not a similar version of one or the other. A prideful person or a person, let me put it this way, a person is either prideful or humble. You cannot have fresh water and salt water flowing in the same river. So a person's basic attitude about their Christianity, like I I said, you're either prideful or you're humble. And when you see a person that is sometimes humble and sometimes prideful, more than likely I would say that that person is always prideful and the humility that you see is a false humility really based on pride. (laughs) and this is a really big topic for us today and i'm not declaring and i'm not saying that we're a bunch of prideful people don't don't get me wrong i'm not saying that but i am saying that the importance of talk coming together is that we speak god's truth and we read and we study god's word and then you apply it to your life as it fits same thing for me i apply it to my life as it fits i'm not saying anything negative about anybody here i am just clearly trying to do my best in giving the word According to Scripture, humility is a choice. Humility is something that we choose to be. And it takes a purposeful, intentional effort 
to bring humility and humbleness into our heart. And I will say right from the beginning that this is one of the harder messages to preach because the more I speak about humility, I have an issue of pride that rises up in my life. To think, oh, that's really cool. You think about humility that way. You're a prideful person. You gotta, it's, this is really hard. It's hard to get up and speak about humility because there comes a sense of pride in your heart for speaking about it. You see the circle that it becomes? You see the problem with humility and pride? You know, we talked about it in our Sunday school class today because we're going through our 16 fundamentals, and one of them today we talked about the fall of man. And where did sin come from? Well, sin came from the pride within Lucifer's heart that Lucifer would rise up in heaven and would say, I can be God. And with that pride, he not only got himself kicked out of heaven, but he went around to a third of the angels... A third of the angels, and he convinced them to have a prideful heart as well, and a third of the angels' heavenly hosts were also banished from heaven. Pretty powerful. That little thing called pride, and that's why God hates it so much. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. We need to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And many of us have a hard time expressing or understanding that God hates things, that God is all love. And because he's all love, all he can do is love. Well, yeah, but God also hates. He hates the things that takes our love from him. That thing that takes love from him is called sin and pride. And I will tell you that God hates it. And so that little bit of pride, when it rises up within me, I got to know that that's displeasing to God and I have to hate that like he hates it. Otherwise, I'm going to play with it. If I start playing with the things that God hates, I'm just putting myself into a position to be destroyed. I need to know and live a life of humility because that's what God loves. And he opposes and he detests any element of pride. Hard to talk about, but I'm going to do my best to get through this. Our text says this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The key word is humble. If I can't humble myself, then God can't lift me up. Then I have no right to cast my anxieties on him. The key word is humble. Humble yourselves. The process of humbling is one that we typically don't spend a lot of time talking about. It's not a big topic in the American dream. We don't think about it. When was the last time, actually, that you thought about it? When was the last time you purposely thought about, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to be humble? I'm going to get up this morning and I am going to please people and I'm going to please the Lord with a humble heart. We just don't think about it. It's not, tip, it's not those things that are typically on our minds. It's not, it, it's not that way because we live in a world that isn't humble. We live in a world that doesn't deal in humility. We live in a world that's all about me. Me, me, me. Consumerism. What can I get out of it? What's, a, what's in it for me? And it's all an issue of satisfy my desires. Satisfy my prideful, selfish desires. That's the world we live in. Therefore, we don't normally think about humility. And if we do, we think of it as a weakness. A commentary that I read on this says this about the worldly perspective of humility. 
It says, being humble for most people brings to mind a form of weakness. If someone practices humility, it means they're not a go-getter and don't care about performance or working hard. It's the weak one who is humble and is dependent on someone else. Hopefully you see the sarcasm in that comment. Why do you suppose the Bible has so much to say about being humble? Maybe we've got it all wrong. And the one who practices humility is actually the strong one. Wow. Who was more humble and more meek than Jesus Christ? And at the same time, who was the strongest man that ever lived? I see no weakness in Christ's character. I see no weakness in the way he lived his life. I, know, I see no weakness in how he faced death and how he faced the cross and how he faced the scourging. I saw no one whimper. I saw no one beg for mercy. I saw a humble man that knew what it is to live a life of humility in front of his father. That's the example that we need to have. Now, because we live in a world that is full of pride, there needs to be a breaking of the pride in our lives. And this needs to be done before a person can be humble. You can't be humble if you haven't been broken first of pride. You can't have a form of humbleness if there's pride still in your life. So we must break the form of pride. It must be broken in us. And according to our text, humility is a prerequisite of God lifting us up. If I want to be lifted up, then I first must be humble. I can't have God's favor and be proud. I can't have this element of pride in my life. Whatever it looks like for you, whatever it looks like for me, I can't have it and then still expect God's favor in my life. It kind of reminds me of, I, I've seen the old westerns, and probably you have too, when they break a horse. You know, here's a horse that's never been ridden before. Beautiful horses. How many people like horses? How many people are afraid of horses? Me. I'm afraid of them. They are so big and they're so beautiful, I'm intimidated by them. But you know, a horse that is a wild horse, as beautiful as they are, they are of no value to us until they're broken, until they're either rideable or hitchable to a wagon that horse has nothing valuable to me other than I can say he's a pretty horse. That horse has to go through a breaking process if he's going to have value to the human race. Well, that's similar to the process a person has to go through if we're going to be useful to the Lord. He created us very beautiful. He created us to be very magnificent in our, in our humanity. But as long as I have a unbroken, as long as I have this wild streak in me that's not broken before the Lord, then he, I am of no value to the kingdom of God. In fact, I'm in opposition to the kingdom of God according to his word. So the importance of this breaking process is the fundamental element of a person's spiritual life. We cannot even begin to think about being useful in the kingdom until we have a personal broken relationship with Jesus. That we must come to him in our in our in our frailty and in our pridefulness and we must break ourselves before him before we can even begin to accept his salvation. Does that make sense? Can we see that? 
Now, I've got to tell you, early on when I started preaching back in 2009, and I still do, I, I have a struggle with humility and pride. I, I do. I will struggle with it truly, just like everyone else does. But years ago when I was dealing with this, the Lord gave me a word picture that really, really helps me. And the word picture is in the form of a shovel. So I went down to Ace Hardware and I bought a brand new shovel because the Lord showed me some things about a shovel. And I want to share that with you about how I can use this to help me in my pride and my humility. Right? The Lord showed me that He is the master gardener. He is the one that wields the shovel. He's the one that uses it to dig out the truths of His Word in my life, right? But I have a responsibility. Just like the shovel has a responsibility to me, for me to use it, the shovel has to have some certain characteristics. He said, okay, as a shovel, you need to have a clean face, you need to have a sharp edge, and you need to have a strong handle. The clean face, a shovel full of old, dried-on cement, very difficult to use. A, a, a shovel that's not clean is, doesn't cut well. What's a, what's a clean face? A clean face represents holiness. The Lord is expecting me to live cleanly before Him. He's expecting me to live with a holy lifestyle, that I would keep my face clean before Him. Right? That's the clean face. He also expects me to have a sharp edge. And that sharp edge is that I stay true and I stay sharp in the Word. I study God's Word to the best of my can. I, I memorize what I can. I study what I can. I apply to what I can. I keep my spiritual life sharp before Him. And then He says, I expect you to have a strong handle. Meaning that, see these little flaps right here? You, anybody, you know, you jump on a shovel. You don't treat a shovel kindly when you're using it. If the ground's hard, you just go, oh, it's too hard. No, you get up and you jump on it. Right? Have, do you know what I'm talking about? And, so, and then you use the handle to really pry back. And so you're really putting a lot of torque on the shovel. And he says, I expect you to have a strong character. I expect you to be able to go through some hardships. I expect you to be able to be hurt and not lose it. Right? All right, so there's the characteristics. And then he showed me the most important thing. How I use the shovel is I put myself and I say, okay, Lord, it's time to be used. Take me off the rack next to the rake, next to the hoe, and next to all the other garden implements. He takes the shovel down. It's time to do whatever I do. It's time to preach. It's time to counsel. It's time to spend with people, whatever. Whenever the Lord determines it's time to be used, he's expecting me to be a clean face, sharp edge, strong handle, and then to be useful in that. And not be embarrassed about it, not be false humility over it. Say, nope, the Lord's going to use me now. And when the Lord's using me, I am that. And then when he's done using me, he takes me and he puts me back on the shelf. Right next to the other tools. And he leaves me there. And here's the deal. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I don't have to be the center of everything. It's not about me. No more than it's about that shovel. The only thing that makes that shovel useful is the Holy Spirit using the shovel. Do we get that? The only thing that makes me functional is the Holy Spirit giving me the power to speak what I speak when I need to speak it because it's His Word I'm speaking. And then I say, okay, when you're done with me, put me back. Let me go back with the other tools and be part of the other tools in the, in, in the, in the shed. I don't stand on my own. If I was to let that shovel, if I, if, he didn't lay, if, if I didn't lay that shovel against the wall or put it up on a rack like this, if I expected that shovel to be something special and that shovel is so special it can stand on its own, that's what happens. That's exactly what happens. I fall flat on my face because I'm doing it myself. 
You know what that's called? Pride. It's called pride. So I have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, use me as a shovel. But I have a responsibility. I have to do the best that I can when I do it. That's not prideful. It's saying I do everything that I can to the best that I can because the Lord needs to use me. The Lord needs to use you. He needs to use you wherever you're at in your ministry. Whatever you do, the Lord needs to use you. You need to be as sharp as you can be at all times, ready to give an answer, like it says in the Word, ready to give an answer about who you are in Christ. But then you need to be willing to be put back on the shelf. Don't stand on your own because you're not. That's the word picture the Lord gave me. And that has helped me so much. We, need to, we must recognize that humility is the very essence of having a relationship with Jesus. It is the very essence. It is the thing that when we realize that we are sinful and that we are in need of a Savior, that brings a person to the point of salvation. That's the whole effort and I will tell you right now, let's talk about the enemy for a minute. Let's talk about the strategies of the devil for a minute. That's the whole reason that the enemy is doing everything he can to deceive you and deceive me and people in this world thinking that, oh, I'm good enough. I, I really don't need that. Those people over there or what the Bible says, that's radical. I don't need to be radical. I don't need to be all in. No, I'm good enough. I can stand on my own. That's what the devil's trying to have us to think. That's why he's so violently against us. That's why he's so violently against humility. That's why he wants pride to rise up in us because he has to get that in us. And, he, and when he gets that in us, he wins. I cannot allow that to happen. If I'm going to have a saved relationship with Jesus Christ, I must humble myself. And if a person can't get to that point... Or if they can't remain at that level of living a life of humility, then there's nothing else that God can do. You know, that's quite often why we're broken. That's quite often why we have to go through hard times. That's quite often why we have sickness or health or other issues in our life is because the Lord is getting us to the point to try to break us. Bring, break the pride. Bring up humility. That's awesome that God loves me so much that he would do that. That he would bring that anxiety in my life. That he would bring that stress in my life because he's trying to get me to the point where I have to look at him and say, my source is only you. That's the essence of salvation. And that's why the devil brings us so much stuff. There's also the power and the danger of false religions that would tell you something like this, that you don't need to hear about this kind of teaching. You just need to come into a service where all we talk about is God's love. All we talk about is how great God is and how merciful He is and how soft He is and how compassionate He is. That's all true. Every bit of it is true. I, I, every bit of that, is, and I thank the Lord for all that. But we must get to the point where we're thanking him because he loves us so much that he's willing to make us aware that we cannot stand up on our own, that we must trust him for our salvation, and we must go that way. And there is no point in having self-help, feel-good, scratch-my-back messages if we don't get to the point of knowing who the source is of that. I'm not against self-help messages. I'm not against messages that would say, you need to help yourself. I, I'm, I'm for that. I get that. 
But if that's all that is, then it's a false religion because it's what it's really saying is, you know, you're a shovel that can stand up on its own. And I don't know of any shovel that can stand up on its own if it's got a sharp edge. The sharp edge itself will make sure that it falls down if it's not leaning against a wall. If I have a dull edge, if, I, if it's so flat, if it's so dull that it stands up on its own, then it's of no value to the gardener because you can't dig with a flat edge. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the word pictures. Thank you, Lord, that I can see those things this way. That's the reason why the enemy is so persistent in developing other ways for men to think that they can get to God than through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, his Son. And there are so many other false religions that are just a variation of this, just enough to keep us away from the full truth of that humility required. I'm so thankful that the Lord will do that, that he'll bring to us his true message. And Jesus is very clearly our best example. No question about it. He is the example of what it means to live a humble life. Philippians chapter 2. Turn in your Bible or look on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Talking about Jesus. Jesus who, being in very nature God, you recognize that, right? Jesus is God. But also flesh. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He, the creator, became obedient even <laughs> to death on a cross. Wow, what a, an example of a humble life. What an example for us to see. Seeing how important it was that the only way God was going to be able to reconnect us to him was through this humble act of Jesus being able to come down and take on human form. That it, that and, our, and us accepting that is the only way that we could have a reconnected spirit with God. Yeah, I can know of God, and I can say God knows of me, but until my spirit is reconnected with his spirit through the blood of Christ, do we have relationship. It's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know God's love is there. It's I must have that connection, and that connection comes through the humility of recognizing I'm a sinful man and I need the blood of Christ. Think of it this way. If Jesus as a man had to empty himself of everything that heaven was to him, think about it. Prior to the conception of Mary, Jesus was fully God with God in heaven. God Jesus, the Holy Spirit, always were in heaven. Jesus gave all that up. So we must also empty ourselves of everything of earth in us so that we can meet him at the point of complete surrender. If Jesus as a man had to empty himself of everything that heaven was to him as God, then it's only as we empty ourselves of everything it is of us that we can meet him at the point of complete surrender. Jesus gave up everything to come down here in humility. I, therefore, must give up everything of my life and of earth. And only when I give all that up can I meet him at the point of surrender. I have to do that. 
That's part humility. That's, that's what humility is. Oh man, see if we don't if we don't think of it that way, if we don't see that that way, then we're not reading the same Bible, because that's all through Scripture. Every other attempt to get to God is through a false religion or a false sense of humility. There's only one way. Now, First Peter, we see that Peter's telling us to be humble. First Peter chapter five verse five it says, "In the same way." You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. We talked about this last week. And then, it's, then it goes on to say, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It's interesting that the way Peter says that. He says, clothe ourselves with humility. What does it mean to clothe yourself? That's interesting terminology, isn't it? To clothe yourself, it must mean that until we're clothed with humility that our naked natural self is prideful. So that unless we do something different, that our basic sense of who we are is prideful and that we're not in proper relationship until we do something. Our doing something is putting on or clothing ourselves with humility. In the early, in the early New Testament times, the slaves fastened a piece of cloth or an apron over their clothing so that others would know they were slaves. Peter is challenging his readers here because they knew that, that's the culture they were in, he was challenging them to tie the cloth of humility onto themselves. To be identified for two reasons, to be identified as a believer and a servant of Christ, because now you're putting on the cloth of servanthood, and number two, to humbly receive God's grace and help. We clothe ourselves. A good example of this is, and maybe Peter was thinking about this when he wrote this, Peter was one of the men that had his feet washed by Jesus. So maybe Peter was going back to this, this act that Jesus was wrapping a cloth around himself as he bowed down before his men and washed their feet. Go and turn with me to, ch to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him, putting on a cloth of humility because that was not something that typically leaders did. Servants typically washed the feet. Recognize that at that time, it was common practice to wash the feet of your guest. Because, remember, it was sandals, dirty conditions, dry, dusty. People's feet would be really, really dirty when they'd come up from a day's walk or whatever. And it was very common practice that when you walked into somebody's house that they would have a servant take off your sandals, wash your feet, so that then you could come in and fellowship with the people at the house. That was a common thing. But it was the servant's role to do, to do the washing. The master of the house didn't wash your feet. His servant did. You see the humility that Christ is representing here? He became the role of a servant. Now, he didn't have to. He knew who he was. First of all, the Scripture says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So it wasn't that Jesus was searching for his identity. No, he knew his identity. He knew who he was. And what did he do? He became a servant. What he could have said, and we would have thought this was good. Nobody would have had a problem. He could have said, hey, guys, listen. This is my last supper with you. After this, I'm going to die. I'm God. 
I'm going to be your savior, and here's the deal. I really want you to serve me. You know what? If you guys would just come around me and make me a nice meal, if you guys would prepare your, um, you know, just, would, you know, my feet are dirty. Would you wash my feet for me? Would you give me a new robe? Would you give me a new crown? Would you do these things to make me feel good about myself before I go to the cross for you? He could have done that, and you know what? And everybody would have done it. Everybody besides Judas, of course, because Judas was going to betray him. He could have gone that path, and everybody would have said it's good because he's the king. He deserves it. He would have deserved all of that. But to be an example for you and I today and for, for him to show us the true form of humility and how important it is, that's not what he did. What he did was he took up the cloth of humility and he wrapped it around his waist and he got down and he washed the feet of his men. It's powerful that he, the creator of all things, would get down and wash my feet. And how did they react to it? How did he react to it? Here's Peter. Again, it's so cool. Peter's writing the book that we're reading and he was the man. Peter's reaction to this was not that way. Peter's reaction was, not me, Jesus. No, you're not going to wash my feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. Do you see pride? That's not humility on Peter's part. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, Peter. Unless you allow me to wash your feet, you have no part in me. That is powerful. Do you see how, how Jesus was in serving his people? That he was actually taking a form of leadership in servanthood, teaching them how to serve and how to purposely and properly serve him later through serving people? Not only was Jesus humble in serving his disciples, they had to be humble in receiving it. But Jesus wasn't phased by Peter's rejection. No, he, does, he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't lose it. <laughs> he said, Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, then in your pride you cannot share in my humility. So there's a crisis point here, a point of crisis, that Jesus is bringing Peter once again to a point of, Peter, what are you going to do? If Peter refused, Jesus would have passed him by. Jesus would not have forced himself on Peter. He would not have wrestled Peter to the floor <laughs> and said, Peter, I'm washing your feet whether you like it or not. No. He gave Peter an opportunity to take a choice. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you and I have nothing here. What do you want? So Peter said, if you want to wash my feet, then wash all of me. Peter got it. He got it, and he said, "If it, not just my feet, then wash all of me. Interesting perspective here. For us, what does this mean? What's next? That we need to have a consistency in our lifestyle of humility if we're going to be a follower of Christ. That if I'm truly going to follow Christ in a way that is pleasing to him, I have no room for pride. Amen? We are to live a life in the same way we have received salvation through the act and through the lifestyle of humility. John chapter 13, continue reading that passage, beginning at verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Finish it with me. You will be blessed. Finish it. Next four words. If you do them. See that? We're blessed as we do something. God's not going to bless us just to bless us. He's going to bless us because we're doing something. And what we're doing is being humble. What we're doing is opposite of what we think. We think we have to puff ourselves up. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to lower yourself. You, you must become less. And I must become more. Jackie, if you'd come. See, this act of humility, these are not just good suggestions. Guys, listen really close, please. This is not just a good suggestion. This is a requirement for salvation. Do we see that? This is not just a good idea. Guys, give it your best shot. No. This is requirement. This is the first part. This is why God loves us, and this is why God hates pride so much. Because if I don't get this, if I don't make this a a purpose or a point of my lifestyle, if I don't clothe myself, if I don't take the cho- if I don't make the choice to humble myself before the Lord, then I have no relationship with Him. This is powerful, guys. This is powerful. Humility is a lifestyle that we must develop and purposely choose. And it's going to be unique to your personality. Here, I cannot give you a list of what you need to do to be humble. I cannot say, okay, now that we're, we're going to finish this out by giving you a list, a list of 10 steps of humility. Because I don't know what they are for you. I'm struggling in my own right. I can't be your judge of your humility. But I will tell you that you're going to be accountable for it. I will tell you that Jesus will hold you accountable for your act of humility or not. Right? So you pray. You dig in. Go back and ask yourself the questions at the beginning of this, of this message. All those questions, I would challenge you to read through them this week. How now having an understanding of what humility is, how can you answer those questions differently? Think about that. I challenge you this morning by the love of Christ to lay ourselves truly at the feet of Christ without one ounce of pride in how good I am. It's only through the blood of Christ. It's only by the blood of Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This morning, where are you at? Could you close your eyes with me, please? Where are you at this morning in your walk with Christ? Are you humble? Are you trying to figure it out? It's okay. If you can, it's okay if you're trying to figure it out. This message is just a way that we can help you get through it. 
Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that we would truly have an understanding of what it means to be humble before you, not in a false sense of pride, not in a false sense of humility, but truly we would lay ourselves down at the altar before you this morning. Father, slay the pride. Slay that thing within me that rises up, that I would purposely see that as something that you don't, that is detestable, that you oppose. And help me to hate it. Help me to slay it. Help me not to play with it. Help me not to pick it up and play with it and massage it and justify it in some way in in my life. Help me to see it for what it is so that I can truly appreciate your humility and how you served us and how you came to save us so that I can serve you back and I can serve others as fruit, an outward showing of who I am in Christ, an outward example. As we sing the song that their group is playing, I would just encourage us to just go to the river here on this one and, uh, and just stay in an attitude of worship, self-evaluation, and truly ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts and lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would just reveal your love to us today through your word. Reveal it to us, Lord, that we truly would humble our hearts and lives before you today. Lord, we need you so much. Lord, there's so many things that are going on in this world that are just out of control seemingly. And we're just left on the outside looking in thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? And Lord, we get through this by humbly coming to you and surrendering our lives. We do that today. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed today as you go. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.